Welcome to Power Up, a podcast show hosted by Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio that brings life to some of the stories on power electronics technologies and products featured on powerelectronicsnews.com and through other Aspencore media publications. In this show, you'll hear both engineers and executives discuss news, challenges and opportunities for power electronics in markets such as automotive, industrial and consumer. Here is your host, Editor-in-Chief of PowerElectronicsNews.com and EEWeb.com, Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio. Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of Power Up. Today I would like to tell you my experience from PCIM. Thank you so much for all meetings that I had. Always a pleasure to meet industry leaders that are working on power electronics, making the power electronics always bigger and more important. Power electronics is everywhere. Let me say that gallium nitride and serum verbite will be everywhere soon. As you can read in powerelectronicsnews.com, we talked during PCIM in terms of wideband gap, reliability, and so on. Infineon introduced next-gen dual-channel isolated gate driver integrated circuits. Nextperia launched emote GAN FETs for low and high voltage applications. Vishai announced uh, the next generation of serum verbiage called Tridiodes. Also, EPC announced a new motor driver reference design with GAN FETs. Navitas announced uh, new serum verbiage power diodes, new serum verbiage technology because uh, by Genesic. Navitas acquired Genesic last time. Cambridge GAN devices announced second series ICE GAN integrated circuits. Texas instrument with new serum verbiage gate driver. Transform released access to its 1200 volt GAN FET simulation model. Microchip announced serum verbiage E-Fuse demonstrator board. And InnoScience and the University of Bern developed GAN-based 850 volt multi-level topology reference demo. Power Integrations announced a new single-channel plug-and-play gate driver for IHM and IHV IGBT modules up to 3,300 volt. The new solution combines power integration scale to switching performance and protection features with the configurable isolated serial output interface. Multiple sensing circuits, including thermal and device and bus condition information, are incorporated. Application areas are trail traction inverters, power grid, and medium voltage drives. Power integrations introduce the Scale iFlex LTNTC family of IGBT Silverbyte module gate drivers. This is particularly important for systems with multiple modules arrived in parallel. And now I would like to bring to your attention the atmosphere of PCIM in this audios where you will hear the voices of Pietro Scalia, Senior Director Automotive Traction Solutions, PSG at Onsemi, Alex Lidl, CEO of EPC, Guy Moxie, Senior Director of Power Products at Volspeed, Wilder Chaldry, Director of Strategic Marketing at Nexperia, Andrea Bricconi, Chief Commercial Officer at Cambridge Gain Devices, Philip Zuck, Senior Vice President, Business Development and Marketing at Transform, Steven Oliver, Vice President, Corporate Marketing and Investor Relations at Navitas. Timothy de la Forge, Associate Professor, Bern University of Applied Sciences, together with Dennis Marcon, General Manager at InnoScience. Mike Engerhardt, Kuspice Creator, Corvo. Daniel Scharfen, 
Vice President Green Power Analytics at the Green Industrial Power Division of Infineo Technologies. Let's listen to the speakers, enjoy, and thank you everyone. PCIM, uh, so I would expect more about Sirium Garbani, like news. So like on Sammy, tell me if there are news for 200 millimeter substrates and uh, so what's next and a comment about uh, reliability. Gate oxide, that is still challenging due to the intensity larger defect, but not only. So which is your strategy to convince, to win the market to accelerate the adoption? Good. So good morning, Maurizio. I think... Uh good set of questions, right? I don't want to lose any of the points. If I don't respond, please tell me again. Let's say uh, the first uh, the first point is what is new, right? So uh, this week at PCIM, we are announcing that we release one technology, so-called M3S, which is the switching technology. This gives me the possibility of uh, explaining that normally we do a core technology, but we have to differentiate the performance according to the application. Mm -hmm. In this case, switching is more for applications like uh, OBCs, DCDC, where switching performance is more important, or for customers like somebody in Formula E, for example, that still have an inverter at several tens of kilohertz. So M3S is already released, but it's part of this M3 family where we are evolving as well, uh, still with planner technology. And you mentioned uh, reliability, which is very important, right? The reason why we are still in planner, even if we have increased the pitch of the cell down to uh, about less than two micron, right? Is because of the, re the, re the reliability. Today, we have about one PPM in terms of uh, failure, uh, uh, failure rate for our, for, our, for our parts. And we have billions of uh, data, let's say, coming from the field. Trench is still pretty immature. Clearly, it's an important concept, right? If you don't have to oversize the die, like some of our competitors did in the past, nominally Rome, this is very known, right? But in part also in film. So we believe that Planar has still a lot of things to do in terms of reliability first. And uh, we have a paper actually, we have two papers, one today and one tomorrow here at PCIM, where we present some reliability data. So it will be interesting to get the details. and. Uh, it's mostly about gate oxide reliability, as you say. Now, what are the plans? What's happening in the market today is very interesting. Now, if you look simply at the stock market, now this is not really technical, right? It's more about the market trends, right? You see that there are companies with different behaviors, right? And why this? Now, of course, this is just an opinion, right? But it's important to see that in silicon carbide, you need to set up an, an expectation, right? And then you need to start delivering, right? So where on same is really focusing is to enable the delivery. Means that you acquire business, uh, you start production with the right piece of uh, uh, development, and you get into the production time SOP ready with good quality and so on. This process to qualify the product uh, is quite long, right? Because 
we don't sell anymore only modules, right? We have done several modules, uh, qualified, of course, QG three to four. But now the market is really changing a lot with a lot of bare dye as a product, which is an EACQ 101. But the qualification is challenging because a lot of tests have to be done in vehicles. Still, let's say the dye itself, right, as a product needs to be qualified in two vehicles. And this is very critical. It's not easy to find proper vehicles that where you can test the reliability of the device, expecting that the, your customers will take the dye, they will bring in their own modules, and then they need to qualify as well the module for a QG324. This is a big open challenge, I believe, in the market that all our competitors have, of course, and uh, it's changing a little bit the way we think when we have to develop a new product. So in that sense, this is we are, we are learning a lot from our customers as well. Uh, today we have uh, announced um, in this, let's say, last several months, cooperations with key players in the market, uh, BMW, Volkswagen. And uh, clearly from this interaction, there is a lot of learning in terms of reliability. This comes in mind one of the slides of the presentation that I need to give tomorrow, right? Where I think it's very important, really, we highlight how fundamental is the interaction customer vendor, right? Into now defining together what is the best testing that we have to do to secure the reliability of the part. If you miss this element, there will be problems along the way till to the point that you might even lose the business because you are not delivering what is expected on time with the problem. So this is creating a lot of effort inside on semi, but also a lot of excitation because we are really now in the mechanism of acquiring new business, partner with new partners, which sometimes even have um, financial models of interaction with Onsemi in terms of a partnership, right? So it's really a partnership mode, which I believe uh, you agree it's important for this new market, right? This is not a consolidated market. It's still a revolutionary market, right? So without this proper interaction, customer, supplier, and at the end of the story, partners in the project, we don't go, I think, very far. And I think this is nice because some customers are OEMs, some customers are traditional tier one. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, the cooperation is also including some tier two, which makes the module. And so we have to cooperate in three parties, right? And uh, I think it's not very difficult to imagine, for example, what BMW does, because they have done also other announcement with tier two, right? Who provides modules and so on. This is a very interesting community scientific effort, I believe, that at the end of the story increases the maturity of silicon carbide. And we need that. I think a similar path will happen as well in gallium nitrate. If we want to see gallium nitrate adoption in the market in high volume, of course, now I am invading other spaces, right? Uh, of course, industrial, right? But eventually also automotive in the high switching application, similar type of partnership needs to be generated. So when, so reliability methods and uh, JEDEC standard, JEDEC standard are building a common base to qualify uh, wide band gap uh, devices. 
but uh, as uh, you are uh, introducing a new technology, you know, this is a long and complicated process. Also to convince the, the people, the designers. So when in uh, USB chargers are full speed on wideband gap, power supplies companies, giving trust and confidence will take time. So what do you think, uh, you say the cooperation, what do you think more, uh, what do you think companies, semiconductor manufacturing and so on, should do again to concur pragmatists, for example, and, and, and others? And uh, you mentioned GAN, so in this way you can reply just, how, if this makes sense, can be GAN and SIG be compared, be best compared, maybe in a specific application? I know that the choice depends on customer application, cost, but just technical. I would say, let's start from voltage, right? So clearly this is a demarcation area, right? So below 650, GAN brings a lot of advantages and which are evident versus SIC. So we might think that below 650 GAN has a space, right? GAN still needs to, uh, let's say, convince from price perspective. But if we think about the volume today of GAN, right? There is enough vision, I believe, that can go to parity with SIC or eventually even beat the SIC. Mm -hmm. It's a question also of, uh, of uh, wafer size. Before you made a question about the wafer side of the SIC, so we can talk about the plans of on semi, for example, right? So we are already qualifying the eight inches. Uh, one of the key topic here is you should have a machinery in production which are agnostic basically of the size of the wafer. This is very key, otherwise the ramp will get forever. The point is how to bring, let's say, the eight inches in production with the yield that it needs to be comparable to the one of the six inches. Today, the market space has an ambition to be higher than 70%, let's say, yield for silicon carbide. And I think this is achievable, right? Potentially even more. But let me say in 2023, this is probably the standing number. And uh, if we think about the fact that we started doing our first uh, eight inches wafer in Rosnov uh, in 2021, and then in uh, in Atsun in 2021-22, we have already the material we are testing, of course, uh, uh, scanning defects, eliminating defects by wafer level Bernin becomes a little bit more challenging. Um, because our dice are 100% screen, right? So our quality is guaranteed because at wafer level Bernin, we remove all what we call killer defects. Okay. So everything that is inherent as a defect killer in the sense that the die will fail with a very high percentage, we remove at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Then there are non-killing defects that you need to know, right? And you need to dominate because they can belong to different classes. And in this case, you can live with that, right? They might impact, let's say, your long-term reliability. You need to track how these defects propagate across the wafer. So it's a, it's a long learning cycle, which brings at the end in a realistic time of qualification of the production, probably to 2025. So 2024, we see a bit premature for launching the eight inches which means we are launching already today. 2025. Yes. We are launching today already, but for small quantities, mostly for internal look reliability 
um, cycles of our, uh, let's say, new development, but we plan to go to mass production in 2025. Um, I think our CEO has announced in an investor meeting uh, uh, this, this, this date, difficult to say which quarter will be there, but I think it's also important because we'll enable us to scale up about 2x. If you think about the benchmark of uh, 25 millimeter square die, there is about a factor of 2x. So you have about 550 dice in six inches, you have 1,050 in uh, eight inches. So it's a big increase in capacity. But this is vain if your yield starts getting down. Right. There is also a trend in the market which we need to keep under under the lens, which is eventually to use larger dies. If you start using larger die, there is a double effect of yield, right? Because of course the yield decreases with dimension. But I think the technology is moving mature to the 32 millimeter square. Today, the 25 is probably the average, but the technology is moving to have the 32 becoming an incumbent in the next few years. Going back to GAN, so starting for the voltage uh, 1200, right? Clearly, a 1200 seekers enough superiority, let's say, versus GAN today, not to offer space, let's say, in the application. But at 650, vice versa, there is no big reasons for not using GAN, if not the price and the availability, right? But as well, we have seen uh, acquisitions, right, of uh, technology incubators. Uh, and of course, they are important, uh, let's say, indicators in the market that uh, GAN might become more serious now, right? If uh, big names, of course, of semiconductors are starting acquiring. So there is an interest for sure. OnSEM is working with GAN since 10 years with internal development. We have been, uh, let's say, pretty much a different speed. Clearly, since our CEO came on board, uh, the latest Hassan uh, El Khoury, in 2000, late 2020, he has pushed the pedal on silicon carbide, right? But there are more pedals in the car, right? So, of course, he is also keeping under a big interest the, the possibility of expanding in industrial. Today, with silicon carbide, because we are growing very fast in industrial energy storage, specifically, we can, we can be also even more open saying that Today, industrial is paying the bill, basically, of the automotive hype, because traction will start ramping up in serious volume 25, 26, 27. So right now, we are fed in our costs by the industrial, right? So it's very important to understand why bang up is a gain for the entire industry. It's not only automotive, it's not only industrial, it's really an industrial, uh, an industry-wide uh, uh, opportunity and power semiconductors are a big piece of it. Because if you consider that the power modules today are 50% of the bomb of an inverter, they have a very important specific, specific weight. So I see, again, this uh, area determined by the voltage. I would say I will put into the other, uh, in the YX, uh, maybe the cost due to the availability. So GAN has to step up to six inches, eventually to eight inches as well. This will take some time to get the technology mature. And I see as well in industrial, GAN on silicon 
more convenient than Ganon Sikh, right? Because we know that Ganon Sikh is already used today in communication, right, for many years in power amplifiers, but it's an expensive material. Of course, with fantastic uh, uh, bang up, but I think we have in thermal performance, right? But we can use uh, Gan on silicon in industrial, for example, where the application thermally is not so dramatic. In automotive, again, SIC gives advantages. Think about, we do dyes of 100 micrometers thickness, where the thermal resistance is also an important vector. And before I talk to you about the size of the dye, increasing the size is a value, you know, because the thermal impedance of that dye reduces. So in that sense, there is a value in increasing the dye, unless you get below the 70% heat, right? Which you don't want, because customers is not prone to pay more, let's say, than the price you can provide with that, with that yield. An aspect which is important is also where is silicon in this game, you know? Because at this point, a gun on silicon, it's very exciting to compete eventually the silicon application, right? Uh, and therefore, I think everybody that is a leader today in the market of uh, superjunction and, uh, and so on is clearly also uh, switching uh, the, the thoughts at least into wide, uh, wide banger. So this is, I think, uh, in that sense, uh, if Ganon silicon can become uh, affordable in a way to compete uh, with silicon, this can be another effect of multiplying the market of Ganon silicon. For silicon carbide, as well, the competition with IGBT, especially now in automotive, primary axle, sorry, front axle, secondary axle, uh, it's very interesting today because we have achieved, I think, uh, an important uh, trade-off between price and size. So if you want to achieve above 150 kilowatt, uh, the same performance with GAN and IGBT, basically with IGBT, considering both the MOSFET, the IGBT, and the, the, the diode, you need to use a surface, which is eventually even 3.5 times or four times larger for the silicon. Now, if we think about what the market says, that silicon carbide is three times more expensive than the IGBT, you understand the equation is not there anymore because eventually the silicon carbide solution can even be more cost effective. That's an interesting point of steady equilibrium. Of course, if you go below 150 kilowatt, the story becomes more challenging because then you can use smaller area of IGBT and maybe it's still valid. But we have applications where a customer wants to use silicon carbide even for 80 kilowatt, 100 kilowatt. So 150, so uh, 165 kilowatt. It's just the borderline. I would say the borderline where sick is definitely convenient. Uh, when and above. Yes. above. Okay. yes. Below that, IGBT might become more convenient, but then it's also bulky, right? If you have to do a module, with silicon carbide, you can, and uh, this morning when coming here, I saw already interesting modules also from competition. Uh, shrinking the size is important, right? Uh, so it's, it's all about the weight, 
of the cooling elements. This is not, we don't have to think only about the module, we need to think about the, the metal around, right? And all the heat sinking. So in that sense, silicon carbide gives you this level of more integration that IGBT, I think, has saturated. So in that sense, today, our investment is strongly into silicon carbide. Again, thinking about uh, the lower voltage 650, how to address that with our internal R&D or in other ways. With gallium nitrate, uh, we have some um, products inside, right? We are incubating. And on the other side, uh, about IGBT, we are very selective in investing according to some projects. We are maintaining our portfolio, but it's not explosively growing. Customers are demanding uh, 80% of the times uh, over 100 silicon carbide. Okay, last one. Uh, talking about uh, wide band gap, that means uh, more efficiency because this is the goal. But how can we connect decarbonization and wide band gap? I know, so the, I know that Onsen is also working in this direction. That means, yes, you need to increase efficiency, but you need also to take care of the manufacturing of semiconductor. That's a good one. It's a very essential one, I would say, because uh, otherwise you move the problem, you don't solve the problem, right? This is the reality, because also the inverter efficiency today is already 99%. So after 100, there is no other way we can go. Okay, there's still a long way to go, but I think the problem you, you bring is very good. So on SEMI has uh, started this process. There is a formal way we are following our mission. Uh, there is an officer on SEMI has appointed uh, people and there's a roadmap for decarbonizing the entire manufacturing line. We have a vision 2030, so this is not something we can accomplish in one year, but it's still a very committed from our CEO mission. Uh, we started with our headquarters in Phoenix, which was a former manufacturing location of uh, Motorola. Fully decarbonized, we went into now a different uh, facility building, uh, fully, let's say, uh, ready to, to, much more efficient, let's put it this way. It's not yet they are generating energy on site. There are plans to build, indeed, uh, also generations, right? This is not happening. I think the vision we should have is, first of all, to have the supply chain fully decarbonized. So not to drive only internal decarbonization, like we are going to do in Bouchon, Serenbam, um, to some extent into Hudson with the local generation, but also our supply chain. Again, this is in the mission. There are milestones that we can describe in a specific meeting, but this is a full commitment from, from the company. I see the entire supply chain in real life uh, is essential, but also if you think about the entire applications, again, you cannot think about only the efficiency from the battery to the inverter and the motor, right? You need to think about how you bring this energy to the battery, so you need to think about the OBC, where that energy comes from, right? How it's distributed. If that distribution is to happen still in form of current or voltage, or if hydrogen should take maybe the lead because hydrogen transport is very efficient. But now I have another challenge, right? Because how we transport hydrogen, right? Over wheels is not very efficient. So 
these are big challenges, I believe, for the industry, but we cannot talk about efficiency of the inverter only, right? And bringing this to 99% because this is what some of our customers do. Of course, I'm excited to help them to extend the, the drive range by 7 8%. This is what we do in automotive with about... Uh, 0.5 or 1% of efficiency, right? That's a little bit the stereotype I get from my customers, but we need to think about the entire supply chain. Personally, I have a vision that uh, there is not enough energy, unfortunately, to drive, uh, to charge, sorry, the, the electrical fleet. So this is a problem we need to resolve because you cannot transport megawatt because if many cars are charging in parallel, it becomes megawatt. If you have 100 kilowatt hour batteries, right? And you are going on Sunday to do an out, an out of the city trip, you need to charge these cars all together. And we are not ready. We are not ready in countries where, I mean, evolved countries like Italy, Spain, to some extent, even, even Germany. So in Germany, there are def def definitely more charges, but it's a big challenge. So we need to think the problem on the larger scope. But it's also exciting because this tells uh, this electrification is not just an hype. It's a small piece of the big puzzle. And we need still to do a lot of steps for decades here. This is not a one-year game. This is decades of work. Thank you, Gideon. You're welcome. Thanks, Maurizio. Okay, hi, Alex. Nice to see you. Good to see you, Maurizio. What's the use from EPC? New at PCIM. Well, you know, here we are at uh, PCIM, which looks like it's uh, pretty well populated today. Um, we've got many new uh, systems that we're demonstrating for DC to DC and for motor drives. Um, our, you know, EPC products uh, have been out there now for 13 years, and so we have hundreds and hundreds of applications, uh, which are demonstrated all around our booth. Uh, where we're seeing a lot of new traction is in solar and motor drives. Uh, solar, one of the reasons for it is that, uh, of course, with a solar panel, you want to have as efficient a conversion as possible. And so GAN is able to not just do things more efficiently than the old silicon, but also in smaller form factors, they can be merged inside the solar panel. Uh, and you can see several demonstrations here that we have with, with customers uh, on these uh, optimizers. How many and kilowatt we are talking? And well, usually it's panel-based, so it'd be like 600 ah. watts a panel. 600 or 300 watts. Or okay. 300, yeah, okay. that kind of range. Okay, just for a single panel? For a single panel. We also have dual panel. We're showing yeah. here just single panels. But, but uh, that, I think, is becoming a bigger thing. Uh, we also have, you know, micro-inverters, which take it from the panel all the way to the AC line in a very small form factor. Again, so it can be placed right on the panel. One of the big topology changes that we're seeing is that solar um, installations are uh, more and more focusing on what I call 24-7 solar. Uh, people want power from their solar panels to be available 24 hours, which means you need battery systems that are attached to your solar. Uh, in order to do that as efficiently as possible, you want to take your batteries off of the, um, the DC rail. And so you have an optimizer, it feeds onto a DC rail, which is typically below 60 volts. 
so that's below the safety limits. And that way the installation on the roof can be done by any idiot instead of a certified electrician like me. <laughs> um, and, and then off of that 60 volt rail, uh, they pull the battery uh, management system. So you save the, the one additional conversion before the battery. And then the battery feeds the 60 volt rail, which then that goes to the inverter. So we're seeing more and more companies in China, US, Europe, that are going to that new topology for their uh, for their systems. So I have uh, you know all these panels that have basically you know 30 to 60 volt okay. output, and they feed a, a rail mm-hmm. that's basically 58 volt rail. And then from that rail, it goes to the inverter. But before it goes to the inverter, there's a battery management system that charges the batteries, and the batteries feed the 60 volt rail when it's dark out. And so for the user, you have 24-7 solar. Ah, okay, got it, got it. And uh, of course, you uh, you can manage, because usually now customer would have a rack with different battery to create, uh, just to spend money step by step. So this battery charge, this battery management would support different rack. Absolutely, as, as yeah, you, yeah, as many as you want. And they're 10 kilovolt installations that we have with some customers, yeah. Okay, okay, good. And uh, for motor driver, which which So, you know, in, in motor drives, we've had these, um, these monolithic ICs uh, that are a power stage. And a motor drive is a, usually brushes DC motors have three phases. So they would use three power stages and a controller, and then that becomes a motor drive. By integrating it all, the power stage all into one monolithic GAN chip, uh, you're able to not just save lots and lots of components, but also shrink the size. And you can't do it in silicon because you can't integrate those power devices on one chip. So now you have the ability to get very, very small. Um, The second thing is with GAN, you can go to higher frequencies. And it turns out that at higher frequencies, let's say 100 kilohertz, you gain a huge advantage in um, capacitors, which can switch from electrolytic capacitors down to tiny little ceramic capacitors. And that's much more reliable. Also, ceramic capacitors, their most efficient um, frequencies are around, around 100 kilohertz usually. So you get the lowest resistance. So you get the least losses from that. But most people would agree that electrolytic capacitors are the least reliable component ever. At least. Of any kind. So that's the thing that's best. And they're also big and they're, they're expensive. So with that change, you can now radically reduce the size of the motor drive, radically reduce the weight of the motor drive. Um, And it also, by going to higher frequencies, you gain efficiency advantages in the energy that can be delivered by the motor because they have more pure sine wave. Um, Distortion of the... The distortion that comes, it's intrinsic to MOSFETs to create distortion because of the reverse diode. Right. With GAN, you don't have that reverse diode. You have reverse conduction, but it's not a diode, so it can be perfectly controlled to be linear, but also you can shrink your dead time because it's a faster device. You have reverse conduction, but you also, since you have higher speed and no recovery time that comes from a diode, you can shrink that dead time to almost zero 
and then you don't have that distortion that comes from the, the diode recovery in the MOSFET. Now you can go to higher frequencies, and of course the higher frequencies means everything shrinks. So, you know, it becomes pretty clear where are those things important. The early adopters have been robots, mostly because they have, you know, there are very few of them, they're very performance-driven. But now we're seeing it go into a lot of e-mobility applications, e-bikes, scooters, um, three-wheelers, uh, and uh, now starting also in, in drones, starting at the higher end of drones. There's an enormous market for larger drones, but for surveying for, you know, um, I, I, I had a piece of property I need to have surveyed for topo topological survey to build a building on it, right? And a guy comes, he comes with a drone. And he puts a few targets down, and in an hour he surveyed, you know, hundreds of thousands of square feet mm. to extreme precision and just generates a map. Okay. Uh, that's there are a lot of those drones, but there are also drones that do inspection, like for offshore uh, wind farms. Uh, there are lots of drones that are being used now for um, for entertainment industry cameras. You know, now you see these chase scenes. They have a drone that's doing it. it used to be helicopters lots of those. Um, I don't see yet package delivery as being a practical use, mm -hmm. but it probably will be. But everybody can immediately see that in a drone, the size and the weight, weight in particular, and the efficiency are what matters most. Yeah, the weight is uh, proportional to the, to the motor that you need to Yes, power. But I mean. you can also go with smaller motors at higher frequencies. Mm -hmm. So, right, yeah, yeah. Right. again, you can increase uh, free is which you frequency you can reduce the sites and you can reduce the weight of drone in this case. Oh, okay. okay, now you hear the bell going off, <laughs> you know what that means. Yeah, that means that somebody failed the test of finding a lower priced product than ours, so we're always beating the MOSFETs. That's what that bell means. People think that GAN is more expensive. Come try it here. Yeah. <laughs> Solar is a DC, a DC application is very fast growing. Motor drives is, you know, it's a different application, also the fastest growing application. So with e-mobility, the monolithic power stage, which now comes in package form, we have uh, from 15 amps up to 65 amps available in the PQFN package. Uh, and then for, for solar, it depends on exactly what you're doing, but those tend to be discrete products. Yeah, because in solar, there are, so... It, it's a buck it's boost up. or a buck converter. So you, they usually run around 500 kilohertz and depending on the, the output. But our most popular product there is the 2218, the EPC 2218, which is a, a Gen 5 product. And soon we'll go to a Gen 6. We already have it out, but the solar people are just evaluating. Hi, Guy, how are you? Mauricio, fine, thank you. Good to see you yet again in Nuremberg. What a surprise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good to see you. So how is going, PCM? Today is the first day. First day, so good. Pretty brisk, isn't it? I'm looking around and there's a lot of foot traffic. Nice big booth. We did at a, an expo this morning on motor drives, which was, you know, full. So yeah, so far it looks pretty impressive. So um, there are a lot of new, a lot of news in terms of silicon carbide, mm -hmm. uh, silicon carbide for uh, uh, industrial application, silicon carbide for motor, motor control. So uh, where do you see uh, more applications uh, for silicon carbide? Where do you see the trends? It would be very easy to say everywhere. 
but I think you want to be more specific than that. But no, it's, it's incredible. You know, I've been in this game ten, over 10 years now, just purely focused on silicon carbide. And yeah, renewables and power supply have been, you know, the base of everything. And then automotive came in. You and I have had lots of discussions on automotive, but it, there's a real change this last two years. Renewables is just continuing to expand not just you know in solar but adding energy storage with our 3.3 kv we're getting into the wind so we're really covering that entire renewable space now from you know an eight kilowatt residential system to to a multi-megawatt utility grade system onshore offshore wind but the, i think one of the most exciting ones is industrial motors now you know it's the biggest market for semiconductors, for sure. It has been for a long time. What is it? I think one of your facts is like 40% of all energy is used to, to turn a motor. And for a very long time, silicon carbide has been known. Yeah, of course, it's going to be more efficient. But system cost, you know, limitation of switching frequency, you don't need high switching frequency. But in this last couple of years with the energy crisis, with Europe, Thank you, Europe, for leading the way on getting rid of fossil fuels for home heating, higher efficiency standards for drives. You, you're struggling when you throw more silicon at, at the inverter to increase efficiency. It doesn't get you where you need to be. And then if you add more, the cost becomes bigger, the power density goes in the wrong direction. So silicon carbide it solves the problem today. And we're seeing these companies going from what was advanced R&D to, hey, we need to expedite this into production. So incredibly excited. I've never been more excited about a heat pump. As you say, the power electronics is becoming sexy. I've, <laughs> we've said that before. Yes, it, it is. It is. And turning a motor is a big deal for wideband gap. It really is. Because, you know, you don't need to put... 400 kilohertz at the back end of a motor. It doesn't like it. It operates nicely at under 20 kilohertz. We're not tied to a battery. We know you and I've talked for many times about the value of silicon carbide in EV, range anxiety, battery savings. Industrial space is tied to a grid. It's a pretty infinite source. So it's a really exciting time. So talking about uh, silicon carbide, uh, it's uh, an important step for, as you said, uh, increasing the efficiency for solar, for EV, because we need to increase uh, longer range, uh, charging, uh, uh, increase the, so decrease the time, the charging time. Uh, but we need also to have a look in terms of decarbonization, how we should manufacture yes. a semiconductor. This yeah. is a good point. That is an interesting one because we we talk about how hard it is to make silicon carbide we talk about yeah it's half the temperature of the sun so it takes a lot of energy to make a wafer so if i'm worried about my carbon neutrality i'm going to ask the question well hang on i like silicon carbide but hey if it's going to it's going to need more energy to to make it is this not going to be a problem Well, we've done a lot of study, and we're going to be publishing this throughout the rest of this year, on silicon carbide in applications like renewables, motor drive, EVs, power supplies, because for every one kilowatt consumed to make 
a chip of silicon carbide, how many kilowatts does it save over its lifetime compared to silicon? So we've got this amazing set of data now, which is third-party data, it's not our fudging, that says, for example, in a, a 50 kilowatt solar inverter, you, you're going to save by, yes, you're going to use one kilowatt to make it, let's use the math, but in actual fact, over its lifetime, you're going to save 77 kilowatts compared to silicon. So yes, like, I'll be honest, like the, the slightly higher component cost compared to silicon, there is a slightly higher energy consumption to make it. You know, you, you're heating up a a, a, a silicon carbide grower to 2,500 know, C. It takes energy. But you recoup that energy 25, 30, 40, 50, 77 times back over its lifetime. So I think that's, a, that's the way I look at that balance of equation. Yes, nice point. And talking about uh, uh, eight inches, then so the next step, 200 millimeter substrate to yep. increase the... So because we need to have devices, more devices, the market would require a lot of devices. The next step is 200 millimeter substrate. What about reliability in this in this case? Well, two two, two points to your question because the, you know, the whole topic is so so important. As you heard Greg Lowe probably say in our one of our quarterly earnings calls very recently, we have shipped our first production product from Mohawk Valley at 200 millimeter. So this is product. This is not just the wafers. This is finished product. So that is a huge milestone, not just for us, but for the entire industry. You know, we started, we started our journey for 200 millimeter in 2015. That our materials team produced the first substrate. And it was terrible. You know, we've had 32 years of practice. 2019 was the next bull, bullseye. And it's only now in 2023, so it's eight years later that we shipped our first true production product. So we are ramping now, and that's a huge milestone. Mm -hmm. Throughout that time, of course, everything is focused on production control, quality, and reliability. These wafers, 200 millimeter, they're qualified to the same standards that the 150 is as a product. So yes, we have our qualification at our materials level. We have our qualification and standards of processing, adding EPI. And then, of course, when we fabricate on top of that. So the reliability and robustness and ruggedness is just the same as any of our other silicon carbide. Mechanically, it's tougher to do. You know, these things are so brittle that you increase the wafer size. It, you know, it's handling problems, but that's why Mohawk Valley is fully automated. Um, and obviously, we're looking forward to ramping up our next fab in Saarland as well, which will be something like another 30-odd percent more capacity than Mohawk Valley. Last one. Yeah, sure. And talking about uh, the competition with, uh, with GAN, mm -hmm. but not, I mean, GAN uh, on silicon, GAN on silicon carbide, Volspeed is working on GAN, GAN on silicon carbide too. We do for RF, yes, that's right, yeah. And how do you see, so if you would compare in some ways, I don't know if this makes sense, how can GAN and Sugarbyte be best compared, talking about reliability for specific applications? Not from customer point of view, because I know that the choice will depend on the customer. And so you look at what 
what qualification standards the GAN community is qualifying to, and it's the same JEDEC. There's, there's a little amount of automotive qualified, AECQ, 101, Rev D. There's some, but there's not a lot when you look, compare it to silicon carbide. You know, we have whole families of automotive, so do our competition. So I think they, they've got to qualify a lot more in, in the automotive. But honestly, let's think about the application in automotive. It's going to be an onboard charger, which is minimum 6.6 kilowatt, going up to 22 kilowatt, typically. Most batteries now are 800 volt. So that really makes a 650 volt GAN device, which is relatively high RDS on anyway, is that the right fit for an OBC? Yes, it would work, but you've got to do multi-level circuit designs. It's not straightforward. When silicon carbide gets you there straight away and it has done for several years. Drivetrain, you know, I, I have seen some white papers on GAN doing a 100 kilowatt drivetrain, but again, 800 volt battery. So you've got to go multi-level. You know, we've got chips now that do nearly 200 amps and they're like 30 millimeters square. I think GAN, GAN can't do that ampacity. And, he, and I think even at half that ampacity, the chip size is nearly 100 millimeters. So I, I scratch my head when I sort of look at the application in GAN, where, but, you know, if you walk around some of the GAN stands here, a 50, a 50 watt cell phone charger, a 200 watt laptop charger, quasi-resonant flyback at one megahertz, what a brilliant application for GAN. So reliability for automotive and heavier industrial, they still need to do a lot, I think. But you've got to ask yourself, is it really the right area for them to focus on when that, okay, when you say consumer market, everyone rolls their eyes and thinks of pain and it does have that volatility, but what a massive market computing and consumer is and ultra portable. And that's GAN's sweet spot. Thank you, Guy. It's okay. Okay, hi, Dilder, how are you? Hi, I'm Mauricio. Yeah, good to I'm see good. you. Good to see you too. Good. <laughs> so we are at PCIM. At PCIM. So what's news from uh, Nexperia? Yeah, it's an exciting time. You know that I'm working for Gran, and uh, now we are bringing uh, the complementary solution for the Gan. You know that Nexperia has been working on the Cascode solution for higher power. I always mention that the, for the lower power is the E-mode and also lower voltage is also the market for E-mode. So we are bringing now the full solution like for the lower voltage uh, E-mode solution and higher voltage E-mode for lower power industrial consumer market and for the higher power industrial and automotive market. So that's now we have got the kind of full portfolio. Good. So tell us... Uh, in terms of application. So let's understand where E-mode is better, is more suitable, Cascode is more suitable. Can do some, may do some applications with yeah. E-mode and Cascode just to right. understand better. So if I start with E-mode, you know that the charger, fast charger application, you can increase the frequency 
because you have got now the GAN solution and you can reduce the solution size quite significantly. So not only that, it reduces your passives, which make the solution smaller and you get the higher power density in the consumer applications like chargers and the power supplies, lower power power supplies in the high voltage. And in the lower voltage, you can actually go for like a 48 volt system and the 12 volt systems where you can use like 100 volt, 150 volt GAN. So this is going in the E mode realm. Now we can address the lower power applications. On the higher power, what we consider is cascode solutions because it gives a better uh, the die size for amps. So that's one of the big benefit uh, and the cascode is suitable for higher power, like uh, more robust, more higher power in a sense, like automotive applications. You have got onboard charger, DC to DC converter, and even traction inverter, where the, you can go to uh, cascode solution. And uh, for the power supplies, like a titanium plus, you can use uh, the like uh, one kilowatt, 1.5, two, three, four kilowatt, and up to 10, 12 kilowatt, you can use actually cascode solution much more easily. Traction inverter, you mean uh, for automotive? For, automotive for traction immobility. inverter, e-mobility, say, say there are some 35 kilowatt, 65 kilowatt, 100 kilowatt, 120 kilowatt, so those are obviously uh, suitable applications. So this is the ultimate application that we are contemplating using our cascode solution. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, and uh, a question about uh, reliability. So when you are introducing a new technology, for sure is a complicated process, long process. You need to convince uh, people, in particular power supplies companies, giving trust and confidence will take time. So, reliability method, JEDEC standard, are demonstrating uh, uh, the quality of uh, wide band gap Absolutely. in general. So, yeah. do you think uh, will be enough? Uh, companies like you should do more to convince, to increase the adoption? There is a reliability is something that is never enough, right? Even the silicon we've been using for over 70 years now, still there is a reliability issues, right, with silicon. So it's a maturity and whether people will be able to use this technology reliably. And that's where the mission profile comes. So from in experience, as you know, that more than 60% uh, of our power uh, business is actually in automotive. So we understand the, how challenging is the reliability, uh, how important is the reliability for automotive applications. Having said that, the, in the GAN, there are not only that we can use like JEDEC standard for industrial and normal application like a small charger. If you've got a small charger in the wall, if it fails, you buy another one, something mm -hmm. like this. So the, and the mission profile is very simple. On the other hand, other extreme, if you're talking about automotive, then you have got like a, your car dri driven in the desert, you also driving in Siberian, a cold, so you'll have to survive the extremes of those. So we are very, very aware of that one. We are doing lots of quality uh, and reliability testing. We call it test to failure. 
people finishes, yeah, this is the JEDEC, and that's where everything passed, my product is released. But we don't stop there. We try to take it to when the intrinsic failure starts happening that year. So this is a quite important part of our strategy to bring the technology in the market. So within this scope, and uh, now, as, as I mentioned, we have uh, released uh, the JEDEC-based uh, products for emote devices. And we are also bringing JEDEC standard, uh, our Casco devices uh, in next quarter. So in a Q4, we'll have now our Casco devices released as well. Although we have got some Casco devices in Q247 already released, but it's the CC pack, the mm -hmm. copper clip packages we are releasing. So once this is done, we will extend our reliability to test to failure. And also we are actually very concentrate on certain reliability, which is very specific to get, like a dynamic RR and the, and the vertical leakage or the high voltage leakage, because you know that the GAN don't have the avalanche capability. So you need to look into when you have got the repetitive spikes whether your device is reliable enough that one so these uh, we call it HTL uh, high, high temperature operating life these are kind of the extra that we perform on our technology to be able to so obviously watch the space so there are more and more reliability information will be coming up and we'll never re uh, release the technology for a particular application like automotive without having gone through all the eventualities. Thank you. Thank you, Dibde. Yeah, you are welcome. Thank you. Hi, Andrea. Nice to see you. Maurizio, what's, good morning. What's news? Good morning. What's news from Cambridge GAN devices? Oh, these days we're launching our second series of GAN power ICs. It's called H2 and it's a specialized series. As you as you remember, we discussed that many times. Last year, we came uh, with uh, our first series of power transistors, 650 volts, with this uh, new concept, ICGAN, that make it them easy to use and uh, easy to be interfaced with any standard gate driver. And that these are basically, these were addressing basically the, the old set of applications from low power to high power. And now with the second series, change? can you? Well, from from I would say. PD charging, 600, I mean, 65 watts uh, and above, all the way to the hundreds of watts of uh, all kinds of adapters. And I would say low power industrial, because we have, um, we have presented packages, uh, which are DFN 5 times 6 and 8 by 8, which are good up to a certain level, mm -hmm. not fully into the high power domain. Uh, with H2 series, we are now going to further exploit uh, the lateral nature of GAN. Mm -hmm. So while the IC GAN concept is the basis, the foundation, and it's on all our devices, now we are adding additional elements, monolithic integrated always with the GAN power transistor, to deliver record efficiency on specific applications. The H2 series is all about light load and no load. Mm -hmm. So for all those, those applications where um, those regimes are very important, we are delivering a significant reduction in power losses against any state-of-the-art competition. And we have here a few demonstrators to, uh, to show that. 
basically we have introduced a circuit that we call NL3, which means basically no load, light load, mm -hmm. which pull, anytime the gate is down, uh, basically detaches the BDD, which means the, the supply to our IC gun circuit. It basically uh, avoids to waste unnecessary energy when there's no meaning of that. So, um, again, we're talking about those consumer applications like inbox chargers, single port chargers, where there are specific regulations, by the way, for the no load power consumption. Mm -hmm. And we, of course, meet all of them with record low power losses, but also for those applications in a few hundred watts domain, like um, low power home appliances, where standby is um, where applications are in standby mode most of the time, and, and therefore where losses should be minimized. So there's a variety, and we are building on this one. So if you see ICGAN and H1 series as the foundation, now we are adding pillars step by step to maximize, maximize efficiency at every regime depending on the application. What about uh, reliability? So this is a, a nice topic. This uh, is a nice topic. Maybe a big topic. Um, so reliability test method and GEDEC standard are building a sort of uh, common base to qualify wide band gap semiconductor. Uh, so would be enough to accelerate the adoption to convince pragmatists, to convince people, to convince other people because uh, Electric vehicles from Silicon Carbide consume USB chargers are full speed on wideband gap, mm -hmm. but many power supplies companies, so taking uh, so confidence will take time. Absolutely. What do you think? So of course, uh, reliability means a lot of uh, it means a lot means of physics things. of the device. Quality maybe how many devices will fail per million, maybe billion. Exactly. No, reliability is a serious topic and everybody knows in the gun domain that you cannot just qualify gun transistors the same way you do that for silicon transistors without taking care about the specific failure modes of gun. Okay. So everybody, including CGD, does its own qualification plan according to JEDEC, but that's just the necessary step. Okay. And then you the have base. to add... I'm sorry? Just the, the base. The base. And then you have to take care about all those peculiar potential failure modes that are related to GAN. Now, um, you need to make sure that threshold voltage is under control and doesn't vary. You need to make sure that, of course, you don't have dynamic radiazon, which we have sold, um, like a few others, not all, but a few others. And then you have to take care about the specific uh, GAN weaknesses, especially E-mode GAN, has always had a weakness into the gate robustness. Mm. And that is why, if you look at how gun emote transistors are implemented in a PCB, typically you have clamping components to prevent the gate voltage to go above certain value. Mm -hmm. And the gate windows are not that wide. And that's all taken care by uh, ICGAN. So uh, we integrated a series of elements and ICs that make them robust up to 20 volts in normal operation. Um, we met at APEC in, in, in March where Virginia, T Virginia Tech has demonstrated that even in dynamic condition, our gate can um, survive uh, at the voltage level that is three times 
incumbent gun technologies, up to 75 volts, whether it's in soft switching or in hard switching, low temperature or high temperature. So the gate is no more a problem. And, and now it's basically as robust as a silicon or silicon carbide gate, without having the oxide that for silicon carbide is still a question mark. So in terms of reliability, we are qualifying our parts and we are doing reliability characterization well beyond what JEDEC prescribes. And we are delivering to our customers lifetime models who, for their specific applications, demonstrate a very low level of PPMs over a certain amount of um, years of operation, depending on application. That is very important because whatever you do for uh, a PD charger is not enough for a server or a telecom or solar application. And, um, this all gun, um, I would say, um, race to reliability involved a lot of studies and research around that. Um, but fortunately, CGD was founded by two people, Giorgio Longobardi, the CEO, and Florian Udrea, the CPO, who were at Cambridge University before, consulting most of the gun players and silicon carbide players today, consulting on reliability aspects of wideband gap devices prior to fund the company. So reliability is really one of the strongest assets that we have in our uh, know-how. And, and so we, we think our customers are noticing that. So you, so I try just to, to put all together in one question and then you are free to, to comment. So you mentioned dynamic RDS on as uh, advice ages, drop density can increase and the effect would be worse. So how you are solving this part? And uh, you mentioned solars. Thermomechanical reliability, I guess, is, inter is critical. Um, what about? Tell me your comment. And uh, you mentioned uh, GAN at six, uh, like uh, lateral, sitting where bikes vertical. Do you believe in, in vertical GAN? Okay, starting from dynamic radiozone, I know that some uh, think that it's no more a problem. Uh, for us, it's not a problem at all, dynamic radiozone, not anymore. So we are well within the specs that all, all customers are asking for. But when we talk to customers, there's still this question mark. There's still this concern because there have been bad experiences with other vendors in the past. So it's still important to to make sure that there are enough data to convince the industry. It's not just, we cannot just say problem solved, don't worry about that. We need to respond to customers' requests. Our data are compelling <coughs> in that direction, but I know that there are still some, some problems here and there. And we solve them because A, we are with SMC, which is by far the most mature process for 650 volt gun among the foundries. I mean, I'm not talking about in-house um, processes, but foundry-wise, and secondly, because we have a proprietary design that we apply in our chip that, um, of course, we, which I cannot disclose fully, which, which helps to keep that under control. And the second question is uh, solar. And solar is um, a very challenging market, of course. Uh, we have a few designings ongoing already there. Um, yes, there, there is a, a thermomechanical requirement, which is quite stringent. And that requires also to go there with the right packages. So it's not just a matter of the chip, it's a matter of those packages that 
um, support TCOB, like temporary cycles overboard, uh, according to, to the customer requirement, given that the harsh environment they are in. And, and we are, at the moment, we um, are just with DFNs, but by the end of the year, we are going to announce specific packages that also go into the direction of solar. We've associated, of course, reliability data for that. Um, vertical, we are not believers of the vertical gun. We still think there's a long way to go, to be honest. Um, it will come at some point, I'm sure. But, uh, um, but um, we think that it's much more interesting for the upcoming few years to invest in improving the, the lateral technology. Uh, just to give you an insight, there are not specific reasons, in our opinion, why GAN can never compete against silicon carbide at higher voltages. So today you don't see reliable 1200 volts GAN devices above 100 amps. There are a few, but you don't see a traction inverter with GAN. But we are strongly believer that this will happen and it will happen much earlier than seeing vertical gun in the market. So 1200 volts gun against silicon carbide uh, for high power, it's something that many are, are pursuing and, and I think it will be one of the directions to go. So the, the concept or the playing is the substrate, not again on silicon, but again on uh, sapphire, again on... Uh... You, you want me to tell you too much, but obviously that is, uh, that is something, meaning again on silicon 1200 volts, it could be possible, but it's uh, perhaps is not the return on investment is, is too long. Uh, there are other substrates that can make the job that can help. Um, on the one hand, uh, to improve uh, the thermals, as you know, silicon carbide is number one there, but also to um, to solve some of the limitations that GAN has when going to high voltage from multiple dimensions and points. So, I think that that would be the game. Yeah. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. Thank you, Maritza. Hi, Philip. How are you? Good. How are you? Good to see you again. Yeah. Again, After it's been. Feedback. Yeah, it's only been two months. Two months. Yeah. yeah. Two months. Yeah. What's news from PCM? Um, How's it going? So yeah, we're getting a lot of interest, especially on our uh, 1200 volt technology. So we did a press release today. I mean, uh, earlier this week, that basically the basically um, provided design resources. So based on our demonstrator that we did last year, we have a fully characterized, a fully characterized preliminary data sheet. And we also have a Verilog design model that um, customers or designers can start simulating with. And I know especially we have a lot of interest from the automotive, from the automotive market. And a lot of these uh, guys are asking for, for a model so they can simulate it in their system. So now that we're now that uh, now that transform is um, our exclusivity is the run out with Nixperia in the automotive market. Now we um, we are going uh, we are moving forward, uh, you know, speaking with um, ODMs and OEMs in the automotive market with respect to our uh, automotive, already automotive qualified 650 volt technology, um, but also on the, uh, the 1200 volt technology for the future 800 volt batteries. Yeah. So when we are talking about uh, a wide band gap, in this case, again, uh, one topic is reliability. So reliability 
method and the JEDEX standard are building a common base to qualify wideband gap devices. But uh, would be enough, we need to go beyond uh, this solution to increase, to accelerate the adoption. Like uh, a new technology, this is a long and complicated process. You need to convince people because uh, so electric vehicles maybe for similar bite or and uh, and again uh, but also usb charges so are full speed on wideband gap but many power supplies companies uh, so taking uh, confidence uh, trust will require time so uh, talking about reliability what is your uh, uh, comment uh, i know that uh, reliability is uh, the physics of the device, quality, how many devices uh, would fail per million, per billion, maybe. So what is uh, your activity? Yeah, so, you know, with Transform, our foundation is based on reliability. Transform, GAN devices, they come from the LED world, from RF, but they are not a natural trans, uh, transgression into, into the power electronics world like a vertical silicon carbide MOSFET is, right? So it's, it's new to power electronics. It switches twice as fast. You know, it, it operates like an RF device, period, right, with the two-degree two electron gas channel. So with that is, you know, we have to show high reliability with the technology. And the advantage of Transform is being vertically integrated. Right. So we own the epi, we own the design, we own the process. Right. And that allows us to really fine tune the reliability of the technology with high performance to match. So, and, you know, we, we've been tracking our reliability since 2018 and publishing that typically on a yearly basis. We're now up to over actually over 170 billion hours of field reliability data with a fit rate failure in time per billion hours of, of less than 0.05. So that says a lot about the technology. And not only that is there's just there's fundamental advantages to D mode versus E mode. And these fundamental differences actually help in the reliability of, of, a, of a D mode device being, de being designed and developed in its native form um, and not trying to make something that wants to be normally on, normally off. Right. So and then matching that with a robust low voltage MOSFET that's been around for decades and everybody knows how to use and how to drive using off the shelf gate drivers. So it's you have basically the high performance of the GAN device matched with a highly robust, highly reliable low voltage MOSFET. And so you get you get everything. You get the familiarity with customers using standard packages of TO247s, TO220s, right? But what you get in the background is you get that high performance GAN, right? That has a familiar, you know, you know, it's it's it, there is just physics on the materials that using GAN in a D mode solution fundamentally is better than an e-mode device. So talking about uh, uh, some testing or uh, uh, parameters that you need to take care of during the reliability, I mean dynamic RDSOM, for example, or uh, um, short circuit uh, mechanical robustness, right. or also thermomechanical reliability that maybe is uh, critical in solar. Right. Uh, in terms of dynamic RDSON, as a device uh, ages, right. 
the trap dance the trap dance can increase right. and the effect will be worse. Right. So, what is your comment about this uh, dynamic idea song? Yeah. And what what trends you see in the future about uh, reliability? So, what you would expect going? Uh, Yeah, I, I think reliability is always going to be a question um, for for customers. It's not when it new. Comes, it's not new, and it's and you know when I ask automotive suppliers, what's your biggest concern about GAN and its reliability? And dynamic RDSON or current collapse or you know electron trapping is 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 a concern, but that also that comes down to owning the process and the epi, right? Where we basically put that to rest back in 2013, right? And if you look on our data sheet, our data sheet is a dynamic RDSON. So whatever you're designing to on the data sheet is what you're actually going to see with respect to the device. And that's why we're on our third generation of automotive qualified technology in an automotive qualified fab, right? So when we've done, we understand the, we understand the intrinsic and the extrinsic um, areas of, of the device. We've done, we understand the failure modes. We've done our work. Um, we go beyond JEDEC. We've gone beyond uh, ACQ 101. Um, these, you know, we do, we, you know, we do uh, a lot of the, the tests that are done, but we do we do either more of them or additional ones. We even we even take the GAN device in our in our casco and we we do an HTGB on that, even though we don't drive it directly, right? To show customers that it's a very reliable technology. So, you know. One of the things with gallium nitride versus silicon MOSFETs is that it can get, it's affected by, by not only uh, temperature, but also, also voltage, right? Where silicon MOSFETs don't have that because they have avalanche protection, right? So, you know, there's, you know, we do, we do the switching reliability as well. That's important, right? So you got, and that's part of that whole dynamic already is on. So when you look at the technologies, you know, we feel that there's still, there's still issues with emo technology. Um, we can see it. We've proven it. We have data. And, uh, but we don't have that issue with, with our demo technology. So fundamentally, I think the demo technology is more reliable um, just as a, as, as a standalone technology. Thank you, Philip. No problem. So, uh, yeah, so at APEC we launched this, so it's now a, a co-pack of low-voltage silicon system control with the high-voltage GAN power IC. So still monolithic GAN power integration, driver FET, all the benefits, but now some customers prefer everything in one box. So we've, we've done this. Uh, we've already sold a million of these units. Uh, originally, it was a joint venture with uh, Halo Microelectronics, a Taiwanese company, and then it was going really well, so we bought out the joint venture. So now this is, we've added to the team in uh, Taipei, also in um, San Jose area, to the Navitas family. So it also gives us a silicon controller base for anything else. We've got a great team of engineers and the technology. So if we need something new for a solar microinverter, if we need something new for um, a PlayStation or a, you know an Xbox, we've got now the strength to do the system as well. Um, so that that's a big step forward. The high, the high voltage GAN has a low voltage entry because it's an IC. So the system controller, all it does is gives out five volt or zero volt logic and the GAN chip takes it the rest. So the GAN is always 
integrated, so it's digital in, power out. That's the way that works. Um, so this was a new thing from last year, so that, that expands this end of the table. The right-hand end of the table, we've done a lot of work with Totem Pole PFC mm -hmm. for higher power applications. Um, so we've tried that for 240 watts and upwards with the totem pole. So really pushing how far down can we take a totem pole, still be cost-effective, still use the high-speed GAN integrated units. And we're actually using our half-bridge chips in the totem pole. So now it's just really two packages, one for the slow switches, one for the fast switches. So simple to use. Um, and there are now there's a, a controller on the market that you can just plug in. It's really easy. So totem pole now from about 240 watts up to we have a 2.7 kilowatt example using the totem pole. So that's that's a big thing uh, for the PD output. We have a variable voltage. Uh, we've been using what's called the asymmetric half bridge for the DC DC. If it's a fixed voltage, LLC is still the best efficiency. Um, and then we've really pushed into the home appliance area. So the motor drives, we've got a TV, 420 watt uh, example for 85 inch TV. Motor drive, BLDC, you were talking. Yes, yes, so uh, BLDC, um, since Q2 last year, we've been shipping millions per quarter into uh, what's now a, a bigger array of applications. Mm -hmm. It's uh, washing machines, it's air conditioning, it's vacuum cleaners, it's personal care, it's uh, heat pumps. Heat pumps is a new area for us. Um, and as we go higher in power, now because in only in August we had the Genesis team join, now we've got silicon carbide, so we're all the way to 6,500 volts and kilowatts and kilowatts and kilowatts of power. Um, so we're actually showing examples uh, that can go in grid-tied applications. So using 3.3 kilovolts or 1.7 kilovolts um, to do main power conversion, also do auxiliary power supplies. Um, let's say you're, you've got 480 volt AC three phase coming into a big building. You will step that down with transformers, but you still need to control it. You still need to monitor it. You know, the IoT, you need a sensor, you need a, a Wi-Fi connection. So we've got a great example over here of a uh, 1.7 kilovolt silicon carbide flyback. So it's really neat, really small, and that's a really popular uh, application. So this is a... Uh, 6.6 kilowatt, and this does three functions. It's a three-in-one onboard charger. The first is goes from AC in your house to 400 volt battery. Second one is if your house power goes away, so there's a, a tree brings down a cable, your car can now go 400 volts back to AC. So this can be in your car. Your car is an extra battery for your house. And the third function 
function is you still go from 400 volts down to 12 for your radio or your navigation or seat motors, this kind of thing. 400, 400 volt battery going down to 12 volts for your radio. So this is a design from our system design team. And the guys who did this used to work for the car electronics companies. So we like bring in that, that expertise. And it's similar for the, you know, the industrial power, 3.3 kilovolt, 1.7 kilovolt. Having that skill and that experience really helps because we can show this to a customer and save them a year of development work. Just show them this is how you do it. And uh, a lot of customers are discovering Genesis technology. Obviously, Navitas has a big marketing side now. We can promote the technology. Uh, people are discovering it, trying it, and liking it. It runs really cool, high reliability. It's what people need. Do you think the market would be more for module or for devices? Uh, I, I think because analysts is saying that uh, it's more for motion. I think... Uh, electric vehicles, I'm talking about. For, for electric vehicle, I think for um, for the traction drive uh -huh. modules, I think for the onboard charger and the DC-DC, I think that might stay as, you know, TO247, this kind of thing. Um, but for us, we actually are happy to sell both. So we can work with the customer, maybe make a reference design. You know, they choose. The customer is always right. And for application, uh, you mentioned wind, but also solar. Yes, very uh, high, high solar, power string inverters. Big uh, plant, for solar, solar yeah. infrastructure. Yeah, industrial applications, okay. not not probably not residential. Not, so. not residential. Okay. Yeah, for that more the TO two four seven. People like TO247 package, ah, okay. people like Katek, the German solar company, mm -hmm. K-A-T-E-K. They, they're using okay. our parts um, and they're using the TO247 to make the, the inverter. Um, that's, that's the residential side. Yeah, module, that would be the industrial, like an entire roof of a warehouse or a factory or a school. That's more of a bigger thing. Okay. Talking about uh uh, reliability. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, at least uh, at 650 volt, when you can use uh, or you can try to use both. Both I mean GAN and signal worldwide. Uh, is there a way that we, we can say how can GAN and SIG be best compared? Yeah. That's a good question. I, Paul, you so can maybe talking about specific applications. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, not cost. Not cost. Well, cost is always important. Um, I think anything, anything AC input for, you know, just AC input and then the power is used, whether it's a TV or uh, a motor drive for a home appliance. Gallium nitride has the edge because you still got higher speed switching and the integration. The, the GANFAST Power IC platform means you can integrate things like temperature sensing, 
uh, current sensing without loss. Um, and then you can detect and turn off. So protect, so detect to protect in only 30 nanoseconds, which is six times faster than doing a discrete you know, sensor back to the IC controller and then back to the switch. So we can speed up the reliability and control loop. So that's a big thing for GAN. But as you go into the basically the automotive space, this is the, the place where GAN gives way to silicon carbide. Fundamentally, if you're doing an onboard charger, 400 volts, GAN is the right choice. You can go high speed, protected, great. But when you go to traction drive, you need a higher current, so the vertical silicon carbide structure has an advantage. Um, and you can put protection in place around the silicon carbide for current sensing, things like this. So there's kind of a trade-off in terms of power and battery voltage. When it comes to 800 volts, silicon carbide, 1200 volt device, simpler topology, Simple topologies are more reliable than complex topologies. For, for packaging, um, generally speaking, uh, obviously with gallium nitride, we first of all, it's surface mount because it's such high frequency. If you have a leaded package, the inductance is too high, you're, you're shooting yourself in the front. But for silicon carbide, it actually comes down to the thermal. So for example, in uh, this unit, the, the sick pack, uh, first of all, this is silver centered. We attach the die to the waste plate, and then we're using direct bonded copper to take out the heat. So it's actually a study about heat, and not the actual chip itself. So whether it's uh, a big TO247, well, that has its benefit, also negative. More and more modules with maybe clip mount to the top as well as a big heat sink underneath. That kind of technology uh, our customers already have and can use our advanced silicon carbide chips to make a really good system. The main idea here was to demonstrate that we can use small voltage device, 650 volts GAN device from Indoscience on 800 volt application. So first idea was to use small voltage GAN in uh, for 800 volt, 850 volt application like normal PV solar application, mm -hmm. upcoming PV car application, next generation of OBC and drivetrain will be with 800 volt batteries. Mm -hmm. So to use GAN in such application, you cannot go straight forward with classical half bridge topology, what we call B6, for example, where you have half bridge per phase because of course then each of the semiconductor has to sustain the full DC bus voltage so 800 volt and a bit more so here you will destroy the gun so the only way of using small gun with 800 volt 850 volt application is to use multi-level topology mm -hmm. so mainly that's what we demonstrated here Multi-level topology is not new one. The uh, cross one, I think it's in the 80s. There were already mm -hmm. some products uh, in the 90s uh, with multi-level, but at, the, at this time, it was mainly used for high voltage with IGBTs or even uh, GTOs. So the idea was to go on high voltage with uh, 3.5 kilovolts, 6.5 kilovolts, or 1.5 kilovolt uh, silicon, uh, silicon device.
But here it makes much more sense now that we have wide band gaps and can because the lower the voltage of the device, the better the field you have merit. I mean, the resonance per millimeter, the, the gate capacitance, the equivalent output capacitance. Yeah. The smaller the voltage, the better the component. And so now the idea is really to mix these two very exciting technology, I would say wide band gaps and multi-level in one converter to go for uh, high voltage application, well, high voltage, one kilovolt uh, application to replace classically IGBT silicon. So then the second idea of what we did here is you can either develop a demo board with a fixed application, mm -hmm. the, but then it will, it will be fixed like a 40 volt to 12 volt isolated DC-DC and you cannot do so much thing with a demo board. Here, the idea was really to show that this kind of topology and this kind of use of very nice components for high voltage uh, application could be used almost anywhere. Uh, industrial drive, electric drive, OPC, uh, isolated DC-DC, solar inverter. And so it's not really a demo board, it's more an evaluation board. So the idea is that's why there is no filter. You know, a lot of the mobile, you have the filter. Here we can have the filter if we have a filtering need, like in solar inverter, but in drive, uh, electrical motor drive, you don't need a filter. The motor is the filter. So that's why there is no filtering. And the idea of plugging uh, card is the same. It's you have a lot of references from Indoscience uh, regarding the power you want to reach. Maybe we can change the component. It's straightforward. You go with the 80 million, maybe yeah, uh, the 50 million, later on the 30 million. And then you can use the same board to assess the performance of one gun versus another. And here, the first topology we choose for this three phase inverter is a ANPC, active neutral point clamp. Uh, so, which means we have six can rather than two utilities, and we have a neutral point. And with this, we split the DC bus in two, 400 volt and 400 volt. And which means these guys here, they will always switch 400 volt, and these guys here, always 400 volt. So that's how, with the 800 volt bus, you are sure each can fed will only switch 400 volt. That's the, the topology principle. So we will never destroy uh, this gun. There are other multi-level topology. We thought the NPC is one of the nicest one because there is only gun, and so we can switch at high frequency with this one. There is a good equilibrium of losses uh, in the in all the switches. But then the idea was okay. We could also address other multi-level topology. Uh, like flying capacitor, uh, classical neutral point clamp, or TNPC. Uh, with the same motherboard, control board, you just have to change the, the power, what we call the power board, which is a phase. So if we want to test another uh, InnoScience device or another topology. Well, he has a software simulation where you put together performance, efficiency, and cost. And he can find the optimum with our device because we are cost effective. And I give him some indicative price for customer. We can give even lower than that. But apparently with that, then you can really come up with a cost-effective solution. That was really the breakthrough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's normally people think more components, higher price, uh, less yeah. efficiency, less reliability. This is not the case because with GAN, the lower the voltage, the better the price. Also, it's not like yeah. it's straightforward with a 1.2 kilovolt device. 
we are working on that. This just came out now. Yeah, the last, yeah, it might not be a week. reference design, but it will be more as a for some selected customer. Yeah. We gonna make it. So it's not something that people yeah, just buy. It, let's okay. say we're looking at that. Where's Allegro? or Hey Day, okay. gay driver, uh, isolated gay driver, which actually provide a lot of simplicity to the solution, right? Yes, uh, That's, uh, yeah, Allegro was here uh, the other day. We also use the current uh, sensor, right? Yeah. yeah. Which does. So this, uh, this is fantastic. So they were really, really excited about that because, yeah, they don't make gun, but they make the, the drivers. So they were very excited about this solution. And they gave driver actually helps. Uh, yeah, to reduce the number of ICs. Usually you have a driver and an isolator. Oh, okay. Here the main one component. And then, we, as you can see, there is one IC, one gun, one IC, one gun. So complexity is really simple. You have okay. a multi-level phase. And just one point on reliability. Also, the general idea of, you know, People say more component, less reliability, component cost, straightforward component cost. Uh, but that's not really the case because if you think otherwise, usually you have two uh, semiconductors working to deliver the same power. X, you have six of them working to deliver exactly the same power. So it's like you, if you have to carry some weight, if you are two or six, then it will be much easier if you are six. You know, you will have less stress spread out stress on the component, spread thermal stress on the component, easier to pull. So in the, in the end, the lifetime is even better with the multi-level because you have more components which are less stressed. So, QS Spice, Mike. Yes. First of all, please introduce yourself. All right, I'm Mike Engelhart. I'm the creator of QSpice. And QSpice is a new simulator. I, um, um, it started out as a mission to get SPICE right. And I did that. And with with a collaboration with Corvo, it also allows one to present a massive amount of digital logic in your SPICE simulation without slowing things down. Okay, tell, tell me about this new tool, which are the advantages also in comparison with others. Very Why good. Is, uh, is important more than mm -hmm. and uh, so this the main uh, features that you would like would analyze would highlight so for traditional spice simulations the advantages are that it has fewer convergence problems the way i did that was i started I, i've been working with spice source code since the 1980s and i started over with the original code and um Uh, starting with that, I fixed bugs that I'd never seen before that I think would be very hard to find if you were not starting with the original code. Some of these bugs were in the sparse matrix solver, and had I not re redone that, or had I not started with Kundut's um, original code, I wouldn't have seen that there's actually four bugs in the sparse matrix solver that make it difficult to solve a circuit with more than 20,000 transistors. It's not fundamental to the spicer algorithms it's just a bug in the code so that's one class of bugs that i fixed also spice is well known for having discontinuities in the iv curves and though these discontinuities don't impact application engineering deals with a, a mosfet channel punch through which you should never have it's just that you can't solve the circuit if this discontinuity is there it doesn't know how to iterate to the point where the channel is not punching through 
there are many discontinuities in the IV curves of Burnaby Spice, and unless you've curve traced every model in every quadrant you and spent your lifetime looking at these, you'll never find them. So those are fixed. The third aspect is that in the time step control, I completely re-architected the time step control of Berkeley Spice so that it is, uh, it's more robust and it's more accurate. It, 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 and this time step control was also, I started that as the um, initial hooks to write a, a mixed mode simulator, but I um, uh, so those are the three things that impact its traditional spice performance. Mm -hmm. In that, it will solve more circuits faster than any other spice program I have ever seen. The other thing that's unique about QSpice is that you can write code in C and Verilog, and this code that you write is written is compiled with optimized compi optimizing compilers to native intel opcode so it actually evaluates in simulation faster than your hardware will execute the code i mean unless you're using a three gigahertz processor it will run faster in simulation than the hardware so you say the faster uh what means faster for simulation so also because uh, for sure we need uh, as fast as possible, mm -hmm. so, and, uh, if, and so, also optimize compiler, you say. So that means uh, you need to run with efficiency, in this case. Well, but what I, means efficiency? Okay, good. Case. So faster means if you're simply looking at traditional spice circuits, you know, without a lot of digital, you get speed ups of, you know, two, three, five, maybe 10. Um, and most of the, yes, if you just have a simple circuit where two spice programs have no convergence problems, you know, it might just run two or three times faster, but because it doesn't have these convergence problems, it can run many times faster. Both solvers get to the right answer, but because it doesn't, it doesn't get confused about what the answer ought to be, QSpice will run yeah. faster. The optimizing compiler is, simply means um, that I, it's just a C compiler that makes optimized object code. So in, um, you know, when you, when you write a bunch of C source code, it, um, uh, there's various types of optimizations that are fairly standard in a um, compiler. It can mean as little as stripping out the source code, having to strip the uh, code to make it smaller. But usually there's all sorts of people optimization and people who write any kind of compiler you know, like a, a Intel compiler or a Microsoft compiler, uh, you can create object code that runs very close to the performance of what you would have if you would write it in assembly language, perfectly optimized and knowing everything about the uh, uh, processor. So it, it runs as fast as you've written in assembly language. And That's what it. Yeah, Corvo has a, a large portfolio, not only in terms of silicon carbide devices, but also other mm -hmm. power. Uh, how do you think to to manage? How do you think the spice model should evolve? Because we don't have we have wide band gap components devices, but also other. So, do you see challenges, differences, uh, so or others? So Corvo Spice yeah. model, models are evolving, I guess. So okay. what is your thought? So 
what has been accomplished so far is we've modeled silicon carbide devices. And for example, the cascode parts, I uh, developed a new uh, native circuit element that includes the cascode device called a, a level 2010 MOSFET because it, they were first done in the year 2010 and it's some high number that won't conflict with you know level 77 or 73 or any other MOSFET level. So this 2010 MOSFET, it does silicon carbide, it handles the fact that it's typically a power device and not a submicroscopic transistor, so it's automatically using better tolerances internally. And because the two dice are included along with internal inductances, I can eliminate a lot of internal nodes. That makes the thing run five to times five to ten times faster. That's a fairly simple thing to do. That's like that takes me like two days to code up. Now where the models that are more complicated, um, we've so far done two Corvo ICs. One is um, uh, uh, two of the three that are used for a very popular uh, radar power supply. One of them simply is a um, constant current charge. It charges up a capacitor bank. Mm -hmm. That model does that works very well. And we've also modeled the ACT43850, which is a very complicated part. It has, um, it's, uh, it's programmed with I squared C. There's 62 registers inside. And these registers each have bit fields that control multiple, you know, maybe a hundred different parameters, not just you know, switching commutation or soft start current or all these other things. Anyway, all of that is implemented. It's like a hundred pages of C code. And the thing runs just as that fast as if uh, it didn't have all these registers. That's, um, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a big advantage to having that modeled out. And that is, you know, what engineers do, they may not have thought about this, they may have stood back and looked at what their life is actually like, but they take some big problem that can't be solved and they bake it up and they break it up into a bunch of smaller problems that can be solved. Well, if you have a simulator that allows you to uh, simulate a larger fraction of a circuit all at once in a literal represent representation of the circuit, really clocking the I squared C waveforms into the parts and having them all communicate, then there's it's a less error-prone design. It's less error-prone to take these now larger fractions of the product and get them plumbed together when they all work literally. So that's that's really the advantage. Good. And uh, looking into the future, which is the planning for QSPICE? Well, I expect that QSPICE will supplant the... Um, will eclip I, I expect that uh, uh, QSPICE will be become the most popular SPICE program, and I expect that it will be standardized. That, you know, everyone, okay, because QSPICE is free, even for commercial use, even by competitors, on fundamentals, it should immediately be the, um, uh, the most popular SPICE program, you know, by a lot. I expect it will take three years to become the most popular SPICE program, but it's, um, it should be a slam dunk, at least on fundamentals. There's, there's no way it cannot be. Thank you, Mike. All right, sir. I appreciate the interest. Thank you very much, Maurizio. So I started with this. Um, uh, Infineon has iPostim, online simulation tool. And on that in online simulation tool, we started, how can we put in um, an estimation of the lifetime for the uh, power semiconductors? Um, and... With that start, we saw, hey, we can simulate that thing nicely. So then probably it should also be possible 
that we can um, bring it into a life system, into a real system. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we, we started working on it and, and we had some very um, promising steps ahead. But what we found is, oh wow, from implementing something that calculates to we can give it to the customer and it works in the field in any case, there's mm -hmm. still a big step. So I was very happy when uh, I found the chance that Industrial Analytics, that Berlin startup, um, uh, was searching for a strategic investor, say so, yeah, somebody who want to uh, buy them. Um, and I will explain why, because they provide me now the software that, mm -hmm. that I need to really be able to create a whole chain and to give customer a whole solution, not only here's a tool, try to do whatever you want, but it's a tool by which you can really solve a, a, a clear problem. Okay. Good. Now, how are we uh, doing these kind of things? At first, let's say, okay, good, analytics, hmm. simulations. Okay, but how can Infineon get into this as well? Everything starts somehow where you uh, collect the data. And you need sensors for it. Now, um, if you take a look to how industrial analytics today is having installations mm -hmm. at their customers, um, they monitor very large industrial power systems, uh, pretty big ones like 5 megawatt compressors and so on. They usually have sensors, so off-the-shelf sensors from companies like IFM, SIG or something, which are rather big, very expensive, but high quality. This is fun for a machine that costs half a million euros, but when you want to uh, monitor a heat pump that is 20,000 euros, you don't want to put a 180 euro sensor there. Yeah? And now the idea is, well, Infineon has a lot of these things on hand. We have sensors, we have microcontrollers that you need to do some pre-processing for the sensors, we have the connectivity and we have the security chip which can do a nice authentication to build up a tunnel to wherever termination point you want to have your yeah. data to. And my mission is I want to build this to a cost level so that such IoT for analytics becomes the most normal thing on this planet. Industrial analytics comes from the area of machine building so they have a big knowledge about mechanical and thermodynamic uh, analytics. For mechanical analytics, the best source is vibration. This is what you can find in the industrial over. Vibration is the most important one. But um, as well, you, um, you need pressure, temperature, and these kind of things. Um, now, for Infineon, it's interesting because we do not have that many standard MEM sensors in this area. But what we have seen is we can use our microphone in, in many different ways. So for, for um, like sonic uh, um, analytics as well. So here we have to do also some experimentation, like which kind of sensors of Infineon can we directly use? But maybe also I will have to go and say, take a sensor from somebody else like Bosch, etc. Yeah. The, the whole thing is exactly. Now, when we collect data here in that chain, the next step is what to do with the data. And we see a lot of our customers who even came to Infineon before we had that story. And they were asking, do you have any knowledge how to do such prediction, predictive interpretation? Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, 
I, I didn't know a lot about that thing, honestly, before I was learning about industrial analytics. And that's just recently, honestly speaking. So um, I learned that there's two main ways how you can do data interpretation for prediction. One is statistical machine learning. Statistical machine learning is clearly important when you do a pattern recognition, like face recognition or uh, to, to, for, for access of rooms or houses or like to detect um, signs at the, at the highway side for automatic drive, etc. But when you deal with a constant data stream, uh, a time series data, it's very difficult to use um, statistical machine learning. Why? You always look into snapshots. And with a, a probability, you can then either detect if there's a problem or not. Now, um, a statistical machine learning um, AI is trained to a failure case. Mm. It's a paranoid system. It's permanently looking, is this the problem now? No. Is this a problem now? No. So, and this paranoia can become a problem in daily life. Why? Because if it slightly looks like the problem, this thing may cry out and send an alarm and a maintenance technician has to go there, has to look, check the sensors, they're like, hmm, no problem, and he goes back. This is not a problem when he has a short wait, but if somebody has to uh, go take a truck and go somewhere, pack equipment, etc., the whole thing might get more expensive than if you have never installed it. And this should not be the case. So um, what can you do? You can relax it. But when you relax it and say, calm down, don't, don't shoot up so quickly, well, it will detect the problem, but afterwards, after two minutes, it breaks down. This is a too short period. We made these experiences as well with um, statistical machine learning in Infinite because we are also trying to do prediction in our own fabs for dedicated equipment. I, I learned that industrial analytics is doing this in a different approach. Mm -hmm. And the approach is with physics-based models. What does this mean? You describe the context with either an equation or, or a little formula or even maybe a, a bit more complex simulation. And then you put this into the structure of uh, a neural, neural network. What happens is you combine a physics context with statistics, so to say, which means you build something that is described theoretically, has the structure to learn. This is the opposite of the model that I just described. The one is the paranoid model. This is a health model, so to say. So it is a model that represents the device, but it still has to learn the behavior of the device. Okay. And this is what you then do. You take the model, you put it to the machine, you let it run for a while, it gathers data, and by this, it does the machine learning, but it becomes kind of the real digital twin of that device or the machine. Cool. And this is not paranoid anymore. Mm -hmm. It's it's just representing exactly this thing. I mean, honestly, it's it's the same thing for us as humans. Yeah, When we get sick, what do we do? We compare, are we well or are we sick? We don't ask, ah, do I have a cancer now? Do I have a cancer now? Yeah, well... Maybe sometimes that mm -hmm. turns bad and we really get one. Um, now, in this case, the health model is, is helpful because it gives a lot of reliability to those people who have to set up the monitoring and it does not immediately shout out. Um, still, the health model now need to learn about the problematic cases. And the, the good thing about the system of industrial analytics is the, the customer is doing this by himself. So which means that whenever 
whatever case happens, with all the data that you have as, as a customer, you are able to label it with the problem that you identified. For example, if you detect that a bearing is broken, well, you can label that data as this is a bearing problem. You can write it in there, and next time when it happens again, a service technician just sees, oh, bearing. Okay, he goes and checks the bearing and maybe has to okay. change it. So this is, this is how this thing goes. So it's two steps, physics-based models for the device as a health model, and then, so to say, another level of AI that learns as the system what are the, the typical problems from the, from the labeling, from the annotation. Exactly. Now, what for us is nice as Infineon is, we're serving OEM customers. Industrial Analytics is serving operating customers as a small company. So we can learn a lot from this, and this also helps us to give more understanding to OEMs, what kind of solutions they really need, because the experience that Industrial Analytics made is something that helps us to, for example, say, well, a customer might just need a simple condition monitoring system. Why to go for heavy interpretation? Or the other thing is uh, the term prescriptive means that um, you do not only predict something, but you also give a prescription, say a statement, what has to be done, like I just said. If then, you mean? If then, oh, for okay. example, if this case occurs, dear technician, check the bearing. If okay. the bearing broken, um, repair the bearing and confirm the error. And then the system then learns. Yes, okay. in principle, it's like that. But okay. it's, it's, it's simple in principle. But this can be become extremely powerful. Imagine you have something running for years. This, this, this whole system is capable to, to monitor and manage a huge complexity. Yeah? And also what we see is some OEM customers that have excellent data available, mm -hmm. they are caught in the innovator's dilemma. Why? Because today they offer services to operating companies um, after sales services and they earn a lot of money with it. Now comes a department in their own organization that want to disrupt this thing with digital service kind of things. But it's, it's really that it's difficult for, for these customers to, to understand in which way can we deal with these kind of things. And so with, thanks to industrial analytics, we have some insights about what are the key elements that you can take and by which you can slightly adapt your, your services, your existing services maybe even, so that you don't kill your business model of services, but that you can extend it or, or um, say change it. And one key thing is, a simple one is, you have so much data in that system, it's, it's clear that you understand immediately about efficiency and you can increase and improve that efficiency. You can take it that the system is on a constant efficiency level. And if it changes, you find measures how you can get back to the same level of efficiency. With respect to the health, you can mm -hmm. understand if it fails or it might fail like in two weeks or a month or something like this. But when you have that knowledge, you can do more. You can improve the performance of your workforce in a way that um, you can plan maintenances you can extend the length of maintenance periods, for example. You can take care of your spare part stock management because when you know which parts are likely to fail because you now have that experience, you can reduce the amount of stock that you have. You don't have to have a huge spare part stock or something like this, yeah. and you don't have to keep very expensive parts because you know, well, you can buy them 
early enough and this, this whole thing goes well. And in the end, this whole thing is also boosting productivity because you really understand how this machine is being used and how you can even use it better. Principally, you can apply this to any application. Yeah? Mm -hmm. For example, we're talking a lot to HVAC companies now. And the thing is, an, an HVAC system is a system that ages as well. So it reduces the efficiency over time. It's, it's that diff diffusers might, might break or, or get the, the, so that the compressor might lose pressure, uh, the system loses pressure, etc. So there's various possibilities how efficiency can decrease. And with these physics-based models, you always know the physical parameter which is weakening. And so a technician can go and take care of that parameter, repair or improve that parameter and see if the efficiency that you can calculate is going up to the same level that you had before. Okay. For example, if you have a grid, it should be smarter and smarter. Yes. Like a bidirectional grid with EV and charging, you can uh, understand uh, the flow of energy, carbon in this case, and uh, understand which one a car would require more power or not. So, in this case, this is an example. I think with such systems, you can manage very complex mm. contexts. A grid, I think, is one of the most complex things probably mm. that you can do. So we are, we are talking also and looking at uh, battery management things as well, um, is where we need to gain some more um, subject matter experience on the, the battery topics because we are very well now with industrial analytics on mechanical thermodynamics and from GIP side in Infineon we are now coming with the IGBT um, knowledge so to say we will talk about it but yes the ATV colleagues are already coming and saying hey can we use the whole thing as well for the drivetrain and I think there it's pretty interesting and this is also again where now I'm coming to the point that the physics-based models help a lot because you don't want, you have, also in the car, you have a permanent data stream. So looking at it with a physical model, as explained, is the best way to do. And the health model helps because, well, you probably build a new car and you don't have years of data about that new car that you built. So you want to have an approach by which you can build in a model that immediately takes care of this prediction and, and not by saying, oh, now I need to, to run that car a million kilometers while this is endless cost. So if I can put in this health model, for example, well, then it, it's going to learn. The car can learn while going, for example. And so even for automotive, I can imagine this is a very nice. So, and one more thing that is important, um, we don't ask customers to give all the data to us. We only, only is good, but we only need to understand what is the physical context of the system? How is the system being built to be able to model it with these hybrid models, physical-based hybrid models? And then we build a software which is given to the customer and it's operated at the customer. We don't route the data from customer out to us and back as information. Not necessary. The data stays at the customer side. We provide the software that immediately runs on the customer side. And especially in the industrial context, it's super important because many customers say, we don't want to hand out that data. Today, we are focusing now on the power modules, but we can also think about, can we um, work with, with customers that build, uh, with partners that build capacitors transformers, um, can we detect gases that, that are studying in there, et cetera. So there's, there's a lot of things that we will be also able to investigate in the inverter. Silicon carbide is 
even more interesting than IGBTs because silicon carbide have a different aging behavior than IGBTs. So, and this is very interesting, the same load profiles for silicon carbide have a different aging behavior in the mm -hmm. devices than with silicon. I'm not an expert to tell you how it is really exactly like, but the point is, it might even be the case that a company that is very experienced with silicon, IGBT, makes a design on silicon carbide but applies the same load regulation, load control for the silicon carbide. And what might happen is, wow, suddenly they face a lot of fails in the field and they might wonder why. With that thing and with our AI models behind, they can easily understand at first why this is happening and they can change the control by themselves and say, okay, if I, if I do the control in a different way, the load happens in a different way, um, maybe less soft um, slew rates, but rather faster slew rates. That's funny. The silicon carbide needs fast switching. It needs this. If, if you take it too slow, <laughs> you, 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 you destroy the poor material. So, um, and these kind of things, with that kind of system, you can find out and you can identify these kind of things. That brings us to the end of this episode. Stay tuned with more news and technical aspects about power electronics. If you are listening to this on the podcast page at eetimes.com or powerelectronicsnews.com, links to articles on topics we have discussed are shown on this page. Power Up is brought to you by Aspen Core Media. The host is Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio and the producer is James Ede.